0: Well, you know, I've had some talented teams, yeah. you know, but um, something always would happen along the way, you know, uh, Bartman play, and then the play in Washington where, where um, you know, we just got hit in the face uh, with the bat <coughs> off of uh, uh, Javi Baez, and so, yeah, this is a very talented group. Um, the difference between this group and some other groups that I that, that I've had is the fact that they Always looking for something good to happen. And Washington, we had a very talented group, but you know they had lost in the first round before I got there two or three times, and so therefore, you know you start looking for you know for things to happen. Well so this group uh, looks for good things to happen and expects good.
1: Well normally when good things happen for the Houston Astros, Kevin Barker, they happen in bunches. The Astros, 7 2 winners last night over Atlanta in the second game of the World Series. And if you look at the Astros this postseason, Kevin, and if you look at their wins, and if you look at the number of runs they score in each win, it works out to seven and a half. Runs per win. Mm. You look historically. The 1987 Twins averaged 7.6 runs. The 2002 Angels, the Dusty Baker's team, had 7.7 runs. The 83 Jays had 8 runs. Um, Sorry, 93 Jays had 8 runs. And the 2007 Red Sox had 8 runs. Pardon me, the 93 Jays had 7.8. The Red Sox of two thousand and three, uh, two thousand and seven had eight runs. Yeah, one of the cliches, Barker, is that hitting is contagious. And I mean, how the hell do you analytically how do you how do you confirm that? But when I watch this team play, I'm really beginning to think that maybe it's a cliche with a little bit, as we heard Dusty Baker say. Maybe there's I I don't know if there's any way you can necessarily quantify it but I am buying into the idea that this Astros team really does think that if they stay around long enough as Dusty said good things are going to happen that might be the most optimistic baseball team I've seen
2: yeah I think uh, I think uh, approaches are contagious I don't think hitting mm. is c- contagious thank I, you I, I, th- I think <laughs> if a if a hitter can't hit a breaking ball and a pitcher that's really good knows that That's not not contagious. That just means you have a weakness and they're going to throw it until you show them that either you can lay off it or you can put it in place somewhere in the big part of the field. They have, most of the time, more talent, one through seven, than every other lineup in baseball. That's what they do. And I've said this to you. If they get decent starting pitching, they're probably going to win the World Series. If they don't, they'll open the door. Now, this going to the National League and and having a different kind of outfield defense, that's going to be an issue. That's going to be Mm -hmm. one less bat. That's going to... Put a little bit more pressure on pitching staffs to to figure out ways to maybe keep the ball on the ground a little bit more. That's why you saw Arcidi pitching at home because he's a fly ball pitcher. And in National League rules, they're going to have a lesser defense in the outfield. They don't want the Arcidi pitching in that situation. They'd rather have their better defense in the outfield pitching at home and those kind of things. So yeah, yeah, it's you're watching that game last night. It, for me, one thing stood out when when Altuve goes, they go. I, I said this yesterday when you asked me what needs to happen, what are you looking for, and I seen, I said that Altuve and Bregman need to figure something out. Well, half of it happened. Bregman, look, for me, looks lost. For whatever that reason is, why that is, uh, he's out and around. Is he trying too hard? Is he injured? Is something not working right? Does he, You know, sometimes when you know something's up, that's all you ever think about, and you forget about seaball hitball, and that sort of looks to me like what he's – He's going through right now. Now you tip your hat to the opposing pitchers. They're making decent pitches against him, but just looks like, uh, you know, can he figure it out here on the road and help them win games? And, and that's the question is, you mentioned the seven runs. Uh, if both of those guys struggle, can they score seven runs on the road and win two out of those three? I would say no. That for me is why l having this breakout game. He coming in that game he's three for his last 29 mm-hmm. in the postseason. that, that, that's not going to be World Series winning team for me because he sort of sets everything up. the The approach at the plate, uh, getting a good pitch that he can drive when he gets it. Normally, doesn't miss it, and that for me is the contagious part. Because the guy on the on deck circle, most of the times Brantley, his approach is different than everybody else's, so you forget him. But everybody following Brantley sort of the, sort of filling the blanks of they see Altuve's approach, they see the way that guy's throwing him. They'll probably be thrown the same way. They can feed off of that, and then talent shows up, and again they're they're scoring more runs than the other team, and that's sort of what you saw last night.
1: Jose Altuve now has 22 home runs uh, in the postseason, and you know he's put himself up there with Bernie Williams. Names like that, guys that we consider to be among yeah. the ultimate. Maybe not not just clutch hitters, but clutch players. Guys who've always... Who, who had that reputation as... You use the phrase when the lights are brightest. Guys who had that reputation of enjoying playing the game when the lights are brightest. El Tuve's really in that. The, the batting average aside, he's really in that group, isn't he? He, yeah. do, he, he does... It seems to me, Kevin... He embraces the hate. He embraces the moment.
2: I guess it's very hard for me to take that twenty-two homer stat and and run with it and be excited about it because of what we know happened up until last year. How much of those? How much of those home runs are legit? Like, legitimately going up, having an approach, knowing, having an educated guess, or a lot of that was banging. That that I, I hate to say it that way, but that, that's the. Whenever I heard that number said out loud, I. Up until last year, I, I I just I just can't take that number serious. He's a very good hitter. He, he has a, a decent approach at the plate. Now, he's very aggressive this time of the year, maybe too aggressive. He swings at everything. And, you know, that that's why going into last night, Max Freed, if you're Max Freed, how do you have an approach against a guy? How do you get locked in? How do you mechanically have a good finish early in the game when you have a guy walk to the plate who is as aggressive as Altuve is, who, you know, re- there's really no way to pitch to him. How do you get locked in? How do you how do you do that? And that's that's the challenge that opposing pitchers have against a guy like that. But every time I hear that 22 homer, I don't know about you, but how how do you go okay, that's a that's a great stat. But how many of those are legitimate home runs that
1: he legitimately had the approach of? Yeah, we don't. We I mean, it's impossible to tell. Exactly right. You can have your suspicions, but it's impossible to tell. Exactly and that and because it's impossible to tell I view it as being as legit as as Bernie Williams with the understanding that we do have evidence that the Houston Astros cheated um but i i you know on on every on every home run I don't know it's yeah just like I, I, I would put it this way I don't think you put an asterisk beside it in the rule book but mentally I think most baseballs absolute most baseball fans further, do if it's important to you, you do see I don't because I don't I don't really care
2: I do further further, further to, to our point about him not needing to do things like that just first about last night he got two breaking balls away from Max Fried he gets a 95 mile an hour fastball four inches in off the plate If you're Max Freed, you couldn't have set that pitch up any better. Mm. You go two breaking balls away, you get his eyes thinking away that that's how you're going to try and get him out. And then you bust him in, and it's in off the plate. And then he's able to, with that cutoff approach that he has, basically swings around his body all the time. to, To be able to keep 95, four inches in off the plate, fair for a double, it's... That that's that's the whole thing is is you, you start wondering why these guys even think about even trying to have to go outside the box and, and bang things and when you see approaches and when you see guys capable of getting barreled to baseball on after getting two breaking balls away, a fastball four inches in off the plate, it's makes you scratch your head a little.
1: Well, it is but it's also one of those things. If it's uh if if everybody else is doing it. To that uh, degree though? Yeah, I, I, I'm not justifying it, but I'm saying it. If if everybody else is doing it, I there's always this. You got to be kind of part of the club. Yeah, uh, you've been in cl- locker rooms. Yeah. You've been in, you've been teammates. Uh, you got you got to be you got to be part of the club. Uh, game one, Brian Snitker, the Braves manager, decides to put Jorge Soler in the leadoff spot, and it pays off with the, the leadoff home run. And of course, in doing so, he's taken. Eddie Rosario, who's other than, you know, along with Jordan Alvarez the hottest hitter on the planet, he moves them out of the leadoff spot. Braves go on to win. Last night, Dusty Baker starts Jose Siri, who I would I know Dusty told the the Fox guys that he thinks Jose is one of the most naturally talented players he's had. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But until this postseason, I don't know if too many people would have paid attention to Jose Siri, but Dusty made the point after game one. He thought his team looked a little flat. You talked about it as well. Lacked lacked a little energy. I think there was, was there's there was kind of an odd deer in the headlights thing but about the Astros in general. So he puts Jose Siri in the lineup. The speed, speed, he run, I mean he runs into a single. Uh and then his his play on that, and we got to talk about that that hit by Yuli Guriel. You know, the the awareness going into third base, the awareness getting up and scoring. As good as Brian Snitker's decision was in game one to go with Jorge Soler, yeah. it's, it's tied 1-1 now in terms of big early game calls by managers, isn't it? Because Dusty Baker's decision to go with Jose Siri, I, I led to my way of thinking, leads to that fourth run. Yeah, I and think, that fourth run to me is the, I think, that was the game.
2: I think that had more to do with his defense in the outfield. He's a very fast runner. He's a very good route runner. He can go get the ball. Arcidi is a fly ball pitcher, and this is going to be an example of where uh, the Astros
1: get screwed by the absolutely. by the National League rules absolutely. coming up.
2: So I think that's you know I, I want to give Dusty credit with <clears> that, but <throat> I really don't. I, I don't I don't think he really put him in the lineup for for offense. He put him more in the lineup because of his defense he and going say, to get it in the outfield. And he's a very energetic player. He's exactly. a very young player. He brings a lot of energy when he gets on base. You know, that that hit he had, that's a swing and bunt. That's a that's a decent pitch. That's some really bad luck for Max Freed. Uh, you just put a really fast runner on base. That that's that's what speed does. Mm. It puts a lot of pressure on defenses to make the exact right play. And sometimes as a hitter, when you're that fast, you can get away with not making solid contact. And yeah, uh, it, it sort of worked out that way, but I, I think it was more about you know you look at your pitcher on the mound, you look at where he's pitching at, you look what normally he gives up. You the team he's facing likes to try and hit a lot of fastballs in the air. You need your best defense in the outfield. You need your fastest runner, and that's I think why they put Siri in the outfield and center field.
1: Worked out offensively.
2: Absolutely, it did. I'm not giving. I'm giving you that. His base running, him going first to third.
1: Rosario making the you know the throw to third base. We got to talk about. We've we've got to talk about that play. Uh, I, I threw out in social media. I said I think momentum in the World Series shifted a little bit, and I that was a deliberate, uh, deliberate turn of phrase there. Uh, Kevin, the the these two teams made their mark. Have made their mark in the postseason with really good infield defense. It's been one of the storylines. Mm-hmm. Game one, Yuli Gurriel makes an error. Jose Altuve. I mean, a lot of stuff happened in game one where it was simply a matter of guys. The ball found them when they were in the shift, or I should say the ball found holes when players were in the shift. Guys were just, it was like they were a second late because guys had to take that extra step because they were in the shift. You look at this game last night, uh, and yes, I know that Ozzie Albies drops the ball I, 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 at, at second base. I get all that. But nothing sums up this game to me more, Kevin, than Yuli than Guriel's single. Now, set this up for you during the regular season we know teams have been have been shift heavy during the regular season yuli gurriel hit two ground balls to the opposite field against the shift it was in a game in may against the blue jays the only two times it happened during the regular season so you're going my god but here's why it only happened two times yuli gurriel is such a good hitter that teams generally didn't shift against him, certainly not dramatically. In fact, teams only shifted like 3% of the time against him, and he was 8 for 16 in those. Mm-hmm. Well, the Braves decided to shift, and, and John Smoltz says on the, on the Fox telecast, John Smoltz says, man, I would not be comfortable leaving second base open like that. Ball goes up the middle, and of course, we saw the, the, the play develops, and that, that, inning, that inning keeps on going. Look, nobody is going to say that teams are going to stop shifting because of this. But it's two games now where, <clears throat> where we have seen teams, Kevin, kind of put themselves behind the eight ball a little bit, putting their players in position where they haven't been able to make plays that could have snuffed out innings or saved pitches. Is that just, and Will Dan Shulman will join us in a few minutes, we'll talk to Danny about this. Is that just kind of fluke? You know, one of the storylines going into the World Series, was after what we saw happen to the Dodgers, was this whole idea of using starting pitchers to come in and close games and yada, yada, were teams going to re-examine that? Is this, do you think, at all going to lead teams to not think twice about shifting, but maybe be a little more careful?
2: Absolutely not. They, They shift for a reason, because it works. Now, if you're Gurriel he obviously been shifted on during the regular season 16 times. He's yeah. 8 for 16
1: against, against the shift. I would tell you not to shift, oh, actually. Well, that,
2: basically, what that tells a really good hitter like Guriel, who can use the entire field, how that pitcher is going to attack him. If I see the second baseman right behind second base, I see the shortstop in the hole between third and short, I know probably going to get some soft stuff in, hard stuff in. Okay, that that's going to make me adjust to ha- what I want to swing at, what I don't want to swing at. He took two heaters right down the middle. He's O two. Why <laughs> would you take two heaters right down the middle and then swing a, a a third four seamer that he that freed through three four seamers in a row? The third one was four inches down, right <laughs> yeah. down the middle. Why are you taking the first two? Yeah, that, that that's the whole point in in how hard it is to pitch to the 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 American League li- leader in hits with the approach of why you taking the two fastballs right down the middle and then you swing at the, obviously it's, it's with two strikes and he's going to expand a little bit, but his approach is I'm going to go up the middle the other way with two strikes. Now, obviously probably you may want to shift before you get to two strikes. Mm-hmm. And then his approach is a little bit more, letting the ball travel, trying to barrel up that way because most of the time you get some ser- secondary pitches. He's just a really good hitter who, who I, I, I'm not sure he's on purposely hitting it that way. I just think sometimes it works out that way, that it looks like he, okay, I see the shift over there. Now I'm going to hit it where they ain't. Most hitters aren't good enough to do that. It's a round thing with a round thing. People but, can't
1: forget that. Okay, and I want to throw this out there, too, because it seems that you made, a, you made a great point about if if you're Yuli Gurriel, you see that they are essentially tipping their hand with how they're going to pitch Absolutely. Now let me ask you this. You've got... Let's just say this. The starting pitching in this series so far has not been great. Katie was really the starting pitching so far in this series <clears throat> has not been great. extenuating circumstances with Morton, but even Charlie Morton's first inning wasn't great. If you've got a pitcher who is scuffling, aren't you increasing or aren't you decreasing the margin for error by shifting? In other words, when you shift, it does it doesn't matter? It, doesn't matter if the guy in the mound is fighting his control, doesn't have his best stuff.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I, I think their creature's a habit. It's worked for them all year when he's been on the mound. This is how you, you you know, they do all this advanced scouting on how certain guys, if you throw it here, you throw it this kind of pitch, it moves in this direction. He gets barreled to it. Nine times out of ten, it's going to go to this spot. Go stand over there. And most of the time, nine times out of ten, they're right. You see how many lines you see that are hit right up the middle, second baseman standing right there. It's most of the time. And it's just very hard that one guy in a lineup that's this good of a hitter that gets hits more times than most other people gets it, get hits, and it doesn't work against him. Now you're going to change your entire philosophy of how you play infield defense Against everybody else, I just don't think you can I take might it to, against this take guy, it, Kev. Kev I degree. might, I might against this guy, uh, maybe, I might, or you get everybody else out around him, and you can pitch around him. Now, okay. and how about and, how and, about and trying that? But but. Most most people don't have the Tuckers of the world in front of a guy like that, who's left-handed, who can get hits up the middle, the other way to the pull side, who's as ag- aggressive as a guy like Tucker, who gets on base as much as he does, and then it makes it impossible to pitch a guy and, around a guy like Duryea.
1: And it's got it's, it's got to be said too, that all of this works. Because the number nine hitter, who was what two for 30, two for thirty one in the postseason, He's three for thirty five now He's not three for thirty five now. Hits that ball again. You're shifting. Hits the ball. Eddie Rosario throws to third base, which is left unoccupied. I mean, a lot of stuff had to happen in that in that inning to make Yuli Gurriel's hit. Mean even more than it, than it might have meant. But it, it was just, it was, it would, for me, it was a fun inning. It was a fun inning to watch because there's a lot of baseball that went into those runs being scored. There's a lot of baseball that went yeah, into see, those thought, four runs.
2: I thought Max Free was good. I think sometimes you got to tip
1: your hat to the Well, he the, did retire right? he retired. Lineup. He retired 10 consecutive in a row, yeah. hitters in a row. After so the so, second
2: yeah. inning, he didn't give up a base runner until the sixth inning, until he walked uh, Alvarez. And then he gave up the hang and breaking ball. To, to Correa, and then they took him out of the game. So he was after the second inning. He was really good, but even the second inning, like like they were they were he was making good pitches. He was throwing breaking balls to set up fastballs. He was, and then the whole thing was what good lineups do mm. is when you miss, they make you pay for it, and that's basically what happened. He missed one pitch, and they made him pay for it. That that's I think why they called that lineup the Magnificent Seven. Is because when you, it's just so hard to always make quality pitches. When they get to the two strikes, they, they foul off a pitcher's pitch to get a hanger or a stinker. And normally, when they get that stinker, they put it in, a, in play hard. And normally, when it's hard, it's a hit and it's very productive. And that's, that's just why Max Freed, left handed, coming into that park with some righties, with lefties who know how to go the other way, that's not an easy matchup. And they were talking on the MLB network about he's a lame guy. He's basically in to righties away to lefties. Well, even if you know that as a hitter, you still got to go up and execute. And that's basically what well, he did. I, I thought he was good. I, I you know, he made a couple of bad pitches said.
1: at times, yeah. and they made him pay for it. And and let's let's also let's at least acknowledge that the ball that Guriel hit came off as bad at eighty four point two miles per hour. It could have very well been a double play if the Braves had played that. Had played that differently, so you're right. It's not as if he was tattooed all over the park, but it was still, still four runs. Yeah, he
2: had The swing four he, runs. Yeah, he, he has a he has a guy that's three for thirty five in the playoffs. That that he, he threw two curves to. He, he got threw, baseball, he, didn't he? Threw, he got baseball. He probably th- you know pitch selection to 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 Maldonado on the after the two breaking balls. you threw him a slider in. Now the slider in was four or five inches in. Why are you throwing that? Why are you throwing him three breaking balls? Now you look at his numbers. he's sitting on the season like somewhere around a buck eighty off of mm-hmm. haters off the breaking ball. He's hitting somewhere around a buck forty. He's not a good hitter. That's bad luck. but the swinging bunt that's a bad that's bad luck. So he had some bad luck. he he tried to make good pitches. He wanted to establish in and get them out in. So how do you do that? You have to do that early in the game, which is sort of what he did in the first inning. Well, he gave up the double, which was a good pitch. He gave up the sack fly on a slider, which was a bad pitch, to Bregman, who's really struggling. And then after that, the second inning, he, he sort of snake bit on the, on the swing and bunt and the three for 35 guy. Other than that, he made decent pitches. They just made him pay for it. And then after that, he sort of fell into who he was with, which is sort of a breaking ball first guy. The sinker down was working a little bit better. I didn't like the slider. I think that was his that was his worst pitch. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he was throwing that as much as he was. He was trying to set it up with the breaking balls away. But again, it gets back to that magnificent seven was laying off that. You have a good approach. That team wasn't biting. Now you have to do something different. And this is why I love baseball. I just love the the back and forth, the having the bat on the on deck circle, the the when you go in be- before the game starts and you're a really good lineup and you know what that guy's trying to do and you can actually go up and execute it. That for me try, you know, when I used to try and hit and try and have a halfway decent approach and actually seeing a lineup go out and do it, it's pretty cool to watch.
1: Yeah, it's they are a remarkable lineup. There's there's really no other way. There's really no other way to put it. Um, Jason Stark, the athletic, dug up a neat little nugget here. Yesterday's game, this gets to their lineup. Yesterday's game, you call them the Magnificent Seven. We call them, call the infield. We call them the Core Four. Yesterday's game was the 69th postseason game for Altuve, Guriel, Correa, and Bregman. 16 69th game they've all been together that is the new major league record surpassing the Yankees lineup of Jeter Williams Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill which is the best postseason yeah. best postseason lineup post 1995 I've seen it is.
2: The way you can't teach experience. The, the more experience they have, they, they've been there and done it before. There, there's a lot to be said about that. You know, you could almost up until last night, you could call them the Magnificent Five. Altuve wasn't giving you anything. Mm-hmm. He's a little all or nothing. And Alex Bregman, for me, looks lost. So you, so you could almost call them the, the Magnificent Five. And you could, if you were a good pitcher who established something, you could maneuver around that. And that's why when it, whenever – microphones were stuck in Dusty's face, the, the first question was, how do you get Altuve hot? Because when you get him hot, he's doing his thing, and now you can't—you don't have as many breaks through that because Brantley, man, I, I, for a guy that used to try and stride separate and have the timing that he does with that stride separation, I just don't know how he does it consistently. I, a lot of the times when hitters do that, They do it because they have timing issues. I know that's why I did it. I wanted to eliminate my lower half. I wanted to play pepper with the baseball. But a lot of times what you do is you hit uphill. And what uphill means is you're more weight on your backside, which is 70-30. You get backspin with your backside, which puts a lot of loft in your barrel, which creates a lot of uppercut, which you can't drive down and through the ball, which in turn doesn't allow you to keep the barrel in the hitting zone very long which you're not a very good hitter then. And then you see this guy just to see what he does. I, I played against him in my leagues when he was with the Guardians. See how I did that? The Guardians, yeah. I remembered. You did? The Guardians. His swing is ex- exactly now what it was then. And that was, I don't know, that was a long time ago.
1: Well, I think we uh... – I think we're seeing in this World Series why the Blue Jays tried uh, so hard to sign Michael Brantley.
2: It's it's amazing. Just everything I, he does, the way the way he fights off two-strike pitches to live to fight another day, I I can't tell everybody who's never tried to do that how hard that is to do to say, I know I'm getting a good one, and I know it's probably going to be a strike. How do I foul that off so I can maybe get a stinker? Mm-hmm. How many people can do that, Jeff? You watch baseball forever. Have you been able to see a guy that can do Alpha Max Fried last night? He did that on the in the second inning. He did that where he got uh, he got a sinker, he got two sliders, it's a one-two count. He gets that nasty curveball yeah. that he looked like he's a little out in front, but he fouled it off to get the stinker to get the hanging breaking ball that he hit for the RBI single to the poolside. side. That, for me, separates him from everybody else. Like, it's just that ability to let the ball travel, that ability to manipulate the barrel enough that I'm not trying to put that in play. I'm just trying to foul it off because I know it's a strike. Maybe it's a strike. Maybe it's not. I'm taking the umpire out of it. All the things that go into being a great hitter and sticking him between the two righties there uh, up front. I just what I said. It's just to try and work through that
1: lineup, especially up front, I I just don't know how you do it consistently. How about Springer Brantley, Vladdy, Bo, Semyon. Good luck. Or Semyon Bo, or whatever. Oh, man. How would you like to have that line of if you were the Blue Jays? How about that? Oh, yeah, and then you got uh, what's-his-face, Teoscar Hernandez <laughs> and uh, what's-his-face, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Man. Think, think you about imagine? it. It's, I, it's all I think about. Every time I see Mickey Brantley or Michael Brantley. You said that. All. What? Michael Brantley. Michael Brantley. Okay. Yeah. Well, Mickey's is, you know. Anyhow, every time I see every time I see Michael Brantley come up to the plate, that's every time I, I, I'm going to have that image in my brain of him in a Blue Jays uniform because we know the sides talked, and we know that a lot of people in this city still say they thought he was signed, and we absolutely. know that the Houston Astros picked up the phone and said, uh, "Let us just give us a second here. We might be able to match that." Mm. Man, man, if you put Michael Brantley in that lineup, oh my God. Yeah,
2: I, oh. I, I I just know whenever oh. I see it do the stride separation, the timing with the stride separation, you, the whole point of that is you don't want to be stale after you do it, meaning you don't want to do it too soon. You don't want to... You don't then you're going to your, be standing there, basically. Exactly right. And what do you do? You usually try and play catch up with your barrel, and that's why you have the more weight on your backside that creates that more uppercut than... Than really what you want. And for him to have the timing that he does and the bats that he has against lefties, occasionally, like the Chris Sell at bat, you could tell it's very uncomfortable for him. He just didn't have any idea how he wanted to attack that weird arm angle, 98 miles an hour. You know, he's throwing behind you, all the things that come into being that lefty on lefty kind of thing. But then you see him against a guy that can spin it the way Freed could spin it and his approach of that left center field thing. I salivate,
1: Jeff. Dan Schulman. Had the call of last night's game. He has the call of the World Series for ESPN Radio. Dan Shulman joins us next. You're listening to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, there's a report in the New York Post, or was a report in the New York Post, that the New York Mets asked the Toronto Blue Jays for permission to speak to Mark Shapiro about their vacant general manager's job. The permission, according to the report, uh, which was reported by Mike, uh, Mike Puma, uh, Joel Sherman, and Ken Davidoff, reporters with, one, pretty good reputations, and two, really, really, really good sources. Uh, the report is that the Blue Jays did not give the Mets permission to talk to uh, Mark Shapiro about the job. There, there's a, a bunch of aspects of this story that, um, I mean, it's, we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk about it later. Let's just say that it, it, when I first read it, I thought, oh, basically the job that, un- unless Sandy Alderson is going to fire himself, <laughs> you know, which who the hell <laughs> knows with the Mets? I mean, anything's possible. Basically the job would be a massive, massive demotion, uh, for, for Mark Shapiro. So I, you know, I don't, guess maybe the maybe the Jays saved him hassle by uh, if they did in fact not give approval. They, maybe they just saved Mark from having to waste five minutes of his of his time talking to the Mets. Anyhow, we'll we'll talk about that a little a little later on because the Mets GM story. The Mets have been turned down. Then I'll tell you what, Bark. The Mets have been turned down more often than I got turned down for my grade twelve grad date. Like I'm not not even close. And believe me, I got I got turned down a lot. Uh I and mean, nobody wants that job.
2: Now, I'm not sure that's it. If you're, if, you're, if you're an up-and-coming GM, you wouldn't jump on the chance to go because if a, you, if you, well if you turn it around, not a chance if you in turn hell it way. around you'll be you'll be known as the person that turned around the
1: that that thing is in toxic. New York. That, that thing is toxic. You can make it not toxic. toxic. Uh, Dan Shulman is ESPN's MLB play by Play voice. He has the radio call of the World Series. For ESPN, and he joins us on Blair and Barker. Mr. Shulman, thank you so much for joining Barker and myself. I don't know if you caught our discussion before the break, but we were, we were both of us, we kind of got a zen-like moment here where we closed our eyes and imagined mm-hmm. what the Jays' lineup would have been like with Michael Brantley in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, there's a lot of good storylines obviously with the Astros and their great lineup in the core four and yada yada. But Dan... Michael Brantley is just such a, he's just such a good hitter, isn't
3: he? Yeah, he is. And so uh, I'm actually in my hotel room in Houston. I'm leaving for the airport, soon. so as I was packing, I, I was, I listened to your whole segment because I knew I was coming on with you and uh, packing is boring. So I did uh, you guys, you guys got me through packing my suitcase. And I yeah, I thought,
1: uh, I thought you'd have somebody to do that for you.
3: Oh, no, please. <laughs> um, I love Michael Brantley. Love, love, love. He is exactly the type of hitter who would take away that element of sameness that exists in the Blue Jays lineup. But I do think if they signed Michael Brantley, I don't think they would have signed Marcus Simeon, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, so, you know, you you would have lost 45 home runs, and Gold would be at second base. But they need somebody... There aren't many Michael Brantleys. I mean, doing the game last night, I must have said every single time, you know, he could fall out of bed and get a base hit. Michael Brantley doing Michael Brantley things. Like, he looks like he looks like he can close his eyes and get a base hit. Um, and he is, in my mind, like, like, I know the Astros scored not that many more runs than the Blue Jays or the Red Sox or any of the other teams. But to me, what makes them the best is one, their strikeout percentage is the best in baseball. And the Blue Jays were actually second. I think that might surprise some people that the Blue Jays hitters as a team at the second lowest strikeout percentage. But Michael Brantley makes a pitcher do different things. If you had, imagine if Michael Brantley didn't exist and you had Altuve, Bregman, Correa hitting back-to-back-to-back, and I know you don't. But that's kind of like what the Blue Jay lineup is is like at the top of the lineup. If you had those three guys hitting back-to-back-to-back, A pitcher could get up there, and in my opinion, if he's really executing, he can get in the groove, and he might be able to get the guys out the same way. You can't do that with Michael Brantley. He makes you change. So does Jordan Alvarez. And by the way, Kyle Tucker's an unbelievable hitter, and he's hitting sixth. And um, in in order to max out and get everything you can out of your team offensively, you need not only right-left differentiation, but you need different types of hitters. And Michael Brantley is is that sort of a guy. I would imagine he really makes a pitcher think out there on the
2: mound. This is a uh, two-part question. Have you seen anything in the last couple of days from Alex Bregman that makes you think he's kind of come out of this? And if not, do you think they can win the World Series with him hitting like he's hitting?
3: The first, To the, the first question, definitely no. Like, not even close. I know he had a sack fly last night. He, he hit a fly ball. They, they scored a run. You know what's funny, and, and you guys know this, Alex Bregman, when he's going, has as much cockiness as anybody in baseball. I don't see an ounce of it. Uh, I see a guy who looks not sad. That's the wrong word. But you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, his his eyes are on the ground. Uh, He just doesn't have that Alex Bregman swagger going on right now. Uh, What we've heard a little bit is he is one of these guys, if it's not working, he hits some more. And then then he hits some more. And then he goes and looks at the iPad. And then he hits some more. And he might be overdoing it a little bit instead of just trusting himself. And who knows why? Like, did he have a bad week and it got in his head? He finished the regular season five for forty-six, so he kind of took that into the playoffs. He had some decent moments earlier in the playoffs, but he doesn't look anything like himself. Um, and he may be hitting third, but if you lined up those guys on the basis of how good they are right now, he's hitting seventh. Hmm. Uh, but you know, he almost won the MVP two years ago, and he's Alex Bregman, so he's still hitting in the three spot, but if I'm Dusty Baker, I'd rather have Carlos Correa or Ian Riel hitting in that spot right now, but I don't think he's dropping Bregman in game three of the world series. Can they win it without him? I, I think they still can. Um, if Altuve going and Correa is going, they still can. And as you guys know, like every one of these games is like a box of chocolates in terms of the starting pitching. You've got no idea what you're going to see from either team is Framber Valdez? going to be, you know, the great Frambo Valdez or the terrible Frambo Valdez. Jose Ortiz got crushed in his last start against the Red Sox, and he was excellent last night. And, and you know, Atlanta's dealing with the same stuff, really. So, I I, I don't think I would pin this series on, on one guy in particular, because I think he's got enough other bats to win it if their pitching is reasonably good.
1: Now, I know the last time we had you on, we had a chat about Christian Javier, and you said... We were kind of wondering why he wasn't, why he didn't pitch that much, or as much as we thought he might in the NLCS. And you, you, know, you were you're going to ask, ask Dusty about it. And of course, now we saw last night, Christian Javier is hugely important to this team. And Danny, I, I think he, I think if the Astros win this series, I, I think there's going to be a whole lot of Christian Javier happening for, for that, for that to happen. What, what's your read on him? And it, does Dusty really just basically look at him as sort of my best piggyback option if a starter? You know, if a starter has trouble right out of the
3: gate, yeah, he looks at him as first of all a multi-inning option. Another great thing that I think the Astros do, and the Braves do it too, and I would love to see the Blue Jays do a little bit more out of this out of the bullpen. And I know Javier started the season in the rotation, but to have one or two guys legitimately can get you six outs through the regular season, mm-hmm. like just not one inning, one inning, one inning, one inning. Like to to it, you're not going to face guys second time around that much. It's not like a starter third time around. I think one of the the best things that the really good bullpens have going for them is every now and again, guys can go get four, five, six outs. And it's not just he doesn't feel comfortable getting up and down. You run run through too many guys when when everybody's only a one-inning guy. But I I think what Dusty sees in Christian Javier is an unbelievable slider. It's what the hitters see as well. Mm -hmm. So Dusty kind of picked like an unbelievable slider. And and, um, if he throws it where he wants to throw it, Hitters hitters have no chance, and so I think Dusty likes to use him mostly against right-handed batters because the slider plays especially well against righties. But he'll trust him against both, and he's kind of that that bridge guy. You know, then they go they go out and they get a guy Phil Maton from Cleveland. Like nobody in the world knows who Phil Maton is walking down the streets of most major league cities. But Phil Maton and Houston does this better than anybody. Um, and Blue Jays, I think, are very good at this. I think they are really getting there and identifying these kinds of guys. But Phil Mayton has pitches that they think is a right-handed pitcher get lefties out. They like the spin rate on his fastball. They like they like his curveball. So I don't know if you guys uh, you know noticed that Dusty had a righty and a lefty up in the pen, and and Rosario and Freeman were coming up. Mm. Like NLCS MVP last year's National League MVP, two left-handed batters. Dusty brought the righty in. He brought Maton in because Maton gets out lefties. And, and um, you know, that's that's a move where a lot of people were saying, you had a lefty up in the pen, Dusty. Why aren't you bringing the lefty in the face, Rosario, in Freeman? But I think Dusty has an outstanding feel now for what his bullpen is. You know, he's been with the team the second year. Some of the young guys have evolved and improved, and they're more established. They picked up Maton. They picked up Graveman. And I think Dusty, who in, in years past, as you guys know, got criticized for bullpen management at times. I think he's got—he's really got a feel for how he wants to use his guys in different spots right now.
2: I, I used to think momentum was a huge deal. You watch these playoffs; it means absolutely nothing. One team's got it one day, the, the other team's got it the next day. Do you have a feel of who might have the most momentum going into Game Three? You no,
3: know, I'm with you. I don't—I I don't think it exists You know, again. Like Ian Anderson could be really good or or not so much. And Luis Garcia, he's made two starts for the Astros. And just like Rikidi, just like Romero Valdez, he's been like lights out unhittable. Or he walked off the mound one batter into the second inning with a bit of a knee thing after getting lit up in the first inning by the Red Sox. Like So so there's no way to tell. I know it'll be really loud in Atlanta, you know, the days of them not selling out playoff games during – you know, the Glavin smoke field over there every year, and the fans got a bit spoiled. Um, those days are gone. I haven't been to Atlanta this October. I, I was on the American League side before the World Series, but apparently it's going to be, you know, loud as anything there. So I think that helps. And the Astros, and I know you guys touched on it briefly, um, I think if every World Series is different, but I think it's the Astros at a disadvantage because of the difference in the rules this mm-hmm. year. Um, Atlanta's got a ready-made guy in full air they can plug in as the DH in the American League Park. And then Ryan Snitker can just choose which three of the four outfielders match up the best in his park. But Dusty, assuming he does what we think he's going to do, they're going to weaken themselves defensively, maybe in all three outfield spots, just to keep their best bats in there. And the ball will find you, right? Like the ball's going to find somebody mm-hmm. uh, at some point. And this is probably the last year we talk about this. I think it'll be university age next year, but um, it, it's always to me a bit of a challenge when you have to go play a game in a fashion in which you don't really play the game. And, and, you know, Tucker played center field four times this year. I'll go look at them, but I would imagine they were all in national league parks that this was what they were doing. Um, but it, it's, it's not ideal. Jordan Alvarez out in left, not ideal. Uh, Michael Brantley's okay, but I think they like him better in left than in right. Um, but it, they're they're weakened in all three spots. But they're obviously you can't take any of those bats out of the lineup. Um, Alvarez, Brantley, and Tucker those are three studs. You, you got to have all those bats in the lineup.
1: Yeah, I was uh, before the series. I looked at all the road interleague games that they that they played this year, and you're right. Uh, Tucker was in center field four times, um, and the, you know they mixed and matched. They had Myers and and uh, and. and... McCormick uh, as well in center field but you know I, I, that's what I was going to ask you look Jordan Alvarez has to be in the lineup uh but if you're dusty and it's a close game Dan and it's late in the game do you play defense form in that outfield because that's you know, people that's I think by size it is actually the fifth or fourth largest outfield in baseball so it's it's going to test Jordan Alvarez
3: Yeah, it it is. He, you know, in spite of the fact he's had two triples in his last three games, he kind of, he kind of, you know, there's a bit of a fluky element to that, obviously, of course, but, but there's, he kind of lumbers out in the outfield. And I, and I think they like Brantley in left generally because in Houston, that's the smallest uh, spot in the outfield, right? Because of the Crawford boxes and the short and the, the 315 to the wall and all that. So, um, I think it, it all depends. You know, if Alvarez hits in the sixth and it's three to two for Houston, he's not coming out because it's a one-run game, and you know he's going to come up again. But if Alvarez hits in the seventh and it's five to two Houston, right. then maybe he comes out and Brantley goes back to left, and Tucker goes to right, and McCormick or Siri uh, go into center field. So I think it's all situational. It depends on the score. It depends on when the guy is due up again, depends on a lot of things, but absolutely at some point, um, it it wouldn't surprise me at all if he comes out for defense, but you got to feel like the inning or two defensively is now more important than the one at bat You might be taken away from
1: Danny. Really good of you to join us. Have a safe flight to Atlanta, my friend. Okay. Thank you guys. Good talking with you. Thanks. It's Dan Shulman. I love the call of the world series. He has a call of the world series on uh, ESPN radio. And game three of the series got an off day today, a travel day today. Game three of the series goes tomorrow. Again, 3-4-5 in Atlanta. No DH in oh. play in Atlanta. As Dan Schulman says, plays right into Brian Snicker's hands. Thus, he's got a couple of decisions to make. Well, he's gonna he's got to have Jordan Alvarez in the lineup. But what a, what yeah. it what it does do, Kevin, is it takes Jose Siri out of out of out of your lineup. It takes Chasm. Is not as important, but it takes Chas McCormick out of your lineup uh, against a big outfield, and you're playing, you're playing Kyle Tucker in center, Brantley in right, and and Alvarez in left.
2: Yeah, we we may be overthinking that a little bit. The way that analytics is, and the way they can put outfielders in the right positions most of the time, eliminating a lot of the moving around. Occasionally, somebody's going to hang one, and you're going to hit it where they ain't. But most of the time, if you've noticed, they ain't a ton of diving in the outfield. That, that's my point here. Is maybe. maybe I get it. Maybe it's that double-switching, what will Dusty do? The more Dusty thinks about yeah, but that, that, yeah, that but might no, be an issue, that, that kind of thing. Bark, how, many, just, how many, how many, many sure. National
1: League games? Dusty's managed a I, billion
2: National it's League a, games. It's a World Series. Billion it's not, it's not, a, it's not a, a June San Francisco game or a Reds game. This is a World Series game. You know, every, every thought process that you're going to go through is, is you know just poked at to the nth degree. I, I think me— it will be interesting to see how the Astros lineup deal with people like Tucker Davison, Dylan Lee, Kyle, Wright, Chris Martin, guys that they haven't seen that they're going to see a lot of because of the fourth and fifth game yeah. that, that rotation, you know, the Charlie Morton thing's not there. That for me is a bigger deal than the outfield. I, I, I just think for me, we might be overthinking
1: that outfield thing. Well, it, Maybe Danny's right. If it's, it's not an issue for the first six innings of the game. Jordan Alvarez is going to be in left field. Where it becomes an issue is if it's a close game and you've got a one or two run lead and you're in the seventh inning and you got to think about playing defense. But the best thing for the Astros, the, listen, what the Astros want is last night. They want a nice lead going into the seventh or eighth inning, three or four runs. He can make some moves. That's what the Astros the, want. Because you know, you know, Bark, Bregman, Correa, Altuve, and Gurriel are going to be in the game. So Mar- the only thing they're going to be moving around is, is their, is their, their a, outfield.
2: A thousand percent with Martin Maldonado. If Dusty's told you anything, he's not overthinking this thing. Second and third yesterday, they are a thousand times out of a thousand times, most people would have pinch it for Martin Maldonado. When, when Chavez came in the game, just because that's, that's a non-competitive at bat. Like, he has no chance with second and third. You want to separate your team a little bit more and make it a little bit easier on the guys that you don't have to use coming out of the bullpen. So if Dusty's told you anything, if you're watching these games, he's not overthinking this thing. Yeah. I just don't think he's going to overthink it when he goes to, to Atlanta. He's going to go with his best guys. Who's your best guys offensively? He, he, they're an offensive team first. On the infield, they're a defensive team. They're really good. But on the, in the outfield, for me anyway, they're an offensive team first. I just don't think he's going to overthink it.
1: Again, though, as Dan said, you know, maybe we should look at it this way. We are, we are going to see history in these three games. This could be the last time we see a pitcher God, standing so. at the plate holding the bat. It's
2: a waste of two minutes of your life.
1: And then it, then it's going to be fun. Who will be the last pitcher? In baseball history, to have had in that bat, we'll we'll probably know. We'll probably know. Trust me,
2: that won't be something I'll be writing down.
1: Be interesting. Well, it'd be, it'd be well, great. It'd be great to get a free drink in a bar. It'd be a great trivia did question. You
2: well, know? <clears throat> somebody raised their hand. Who cares?
1: <laughs> so no DH for three, four, and five. The series is tied one games, uh, one game apiece. You know, you're just you're. Guess is as good as mine as to who ha- who, who has the momentum here. You know who's going to have the momentum here? Whichever pitcher gets into the fifth inning, that team is going to have momentum in this series. It will
2: be very interesting to see how Altuve and Bregman handle the crowd. I, I just, they played games this at is Yankee just, this Stadium. Is me. This is just me not in a game like this. This is just me from afar looking at demeanor, the way their face looks, yelling and screaming.
1: Oh, it Bregman, Bregman seems, seems, seems to me like it bothers him. Bregman is not the same dude. That's, that's apparent. That's absolutely apparent. When
2: you're struggling on top of that, you're getting booed and yelled and screamed at the way they're going to get yelled and screamed at. How are they going to handle it?